The VA Salt Lake City Healthcare System serves veterans, their families, and caregivers. To find a healthcare facility near you and manage your health online, visit va.gov. Welcome to a Veterans Day edition of Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. Originally known as Armistice Day, today's a day to honor all those who have and do serve in the U.S. military. All right, let's do the roll call, folks. Air Force and Air Force Reserve, Air National Guard, Army and Army Reserve, Army National Guard, Coast Guard and Coast Guard Reserve, Marine Corps and Marine Corps Reserve, Navy and Navy Reserve, and the newest branch of military service, the U.S. Space Force. Thank you for all you have done and currently do on our country's behalf to keep us safe and preserve the rights we so freely enjoy in this country. Coming up on the show tonight, a conversation with Army veteran Jill Atwood, who's Director of Communications at the VA in Salt Lake City, and host of their podcast, Upholding Valor. She's agreed to share an episode. In it, Atwood talks with two veterans from two wars as they describe their emotions surrounding the 20th anniversary of 9-11 that coincides with the end of the 20-year war in Afghanistan. The Biden administration today said they'll make it easier for veterans to receive benefits after exposure to burn pits, something the president has said he thinks contributed to his son's death from brain cancer. We'll hear from Lourdes Roca tonight, a woman who's taking what she learned helping her Vietnam veteran father fight for VA benefits related to his cancer. She's got a webinar available online in partnership with the Colangio Carcinoma Foundation for Veterans Day to raise awareness and provide support for Vietnam vets. And I've got a couple of song dedications too. First, in what's becoming something of a tradition for Radioactive and my next guest, let's pass the microphone to someone who buys meals for veterans every Veterans Day. I'm Dave Morris. I own Piper Down, Ice House, Handlebar, Funk and Dive, Harp and Hound. And Piper Down, Piper Down's the first. That's uh, Piper Down is uh, old enough to vote. <laughs> How many years have you been doing this Veterans Day tradition and why? Well, before before I opened a bar, um, well, before I opened Piper Down, which was in 2002, me and my friends, my vet friends, would ride our motorcycles all over town and hit all the places that gave free lunches and dinners. <laughs> so we'd go to Applebee's and Famous Dave's and um, end up at a bar and try to get people to buy us shots or whatever. <laughs> so so you were once, working once it. I owned, yeah, once I opened my, my own bar, then I just wanted to continue the tradition. Um, you, you know, we took advantage of everybody else's uh, <laughs> patriotism and hospitality. Does it we just wanted to do it ourselves, so. Yeah. Does it create stories? Do you end up hearing a lot of stories on Veterans Day at your bars? For sure, for sure. and. We just had a meeting, a staff meeting at Piper yesterday, and I said, when when these veterans come up, when they come in and and identify themselves as veterans, and order something to eat, ask them questions. They'll love it. Like ask them, what branch were you in, and where did you serve, and did you do anything really cool? Did you get any overseas time? You know, it's. It's crazy right now is so much more, so much different from when I joined. I joined in 1988 and we didn't have a lot of veterans. I mean, there were Vietnam veterans, but 
now we have so many, so many of our veterans have actually seen combat because we were in the nation's longest war. So there's lots of opportunity to get your combat patch on, <laughs> which is which is very different than when I was in. I remember when we got back from Saudi Arabia uh, for the first Gulf War and we walked into a VFW and we're just 20, 21 year old kids and all these Vietnam veterans, you know, there's smoke filled air and the door opens and the record skips off the, <laughs> the jukebox and they're like, what are you kids doing here? And we're like, we just got back from war. And they're like, oh yeah, hey, and everything changed. But it's it's not the same now. Now you expect if someone has served that they served in combat. So is it a little different this year given our withdrawal from our longest war in Afghanistan? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't, I um as as a as a veteran, most of us, you know, we just we just take an oath and you know raise our hand and swear to follow orders, and that's what we do. We uh, we don't we never had a whole lot of politics when I was when I was in. Um, you just you do it you do what you're told to do. Um, you don't have politics; you just have principles, right? And the biggest principle is you swore an oath to uh, obey the commander in chief, whoever that is, whether you like him or not, you swore an oath to to do what he says. So, Something else you're doing this month of November, which is Movember, M for mustaches. You've got this really cool mustache pretzel and you're donating part of the proceeds to men's health and suicide prevention. Yeah, so we actually... Uh, I, I wish we would have done this before the event, but last Friday at Handlebar, aptly named, we did this big mustache and beard competition. And we did it in a way that we've never done it. We've, we've done quite a few of these before at, at Piper and Ice House, but uh, where you, you sign up and you got this big, awesome beard and you get on stage and there's judges and stuff. Well, we did this one totally different. We sold beads to customers. And then if you thought that, that that's how you voted, like Mardi Gras style. Okay. And at the end of the night, we just counted up how many beads the, the contestants had. So never was the party stopped. The, uh, and I've never seen, I've never seen the, the contestants so engaged with the crowd. Because they had to go earn their beads. They had to go earn their beads. <laughs> the pretzel's still available throughout November. Is it just a handlebar or all of uh, your bars? All the bars. All the bars. So mm-hmm. uh, if, if you go to Piper or Ice House or Handlebar or Funkadive or Harpenhound, through the entire month, uh, a, a portion of the sale uh, of the proceeds, uh, I think we're doing a dollar a pretzel. Um, so just to kind of make it easy. And we're donating that. Uh, our November fundraiser, we raised about $3,000 for Movember. And uh, you can also donate to Movember. You just type in Movember in Google and uh, it's, a, it's an international movement. Um, it's kind of like the pink ribbons, but um, we don't have boobs. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> They're just composed differently, Dave. But yeah, it's know. a great co- you've you've like you said your oldest bar is now old enough to vote, which means old enough to go to war too. But you've really used the bars to do more than serve drinks and good times. Um, is that important to you as a business owner in Utah? It really is. So, so, so many years, the bar business in Utah was uh, you kept your mouth shut and you kept your head down and you stayed in the shadows and hopefully nobody messed with you. Uh, you try to stay off the radar with the DABC and the cops and everything. But it's, it's really changed over the last 18 years. When, when we opened Piper, most of the bars had little tiny, tiny windows or no windows at all. Um, it, when I opened Piper, they were all private clubs and it was, you know, seedy, smoky. Um, you walk up to the front door and they go, are you a member? And you'd say, can I get a sponsor? <laughs> if you're local, if you're from out of state, you're like, oh, sorry, I'm not a member. I'll, I'll go away <laughs> and, and dr- drink some three, two beer from seven 11 or something. <laughs> But all those things I just mentioned, they're all gone. Smoking, 3-2 beer, memberships. Um, and, and we pushed for that as, uh, as the president of the, the Utah Hospitality Association. And now we've joined with the Salt Lake Area Restaurant Association. Um, and we're actively lobbying every year. Uh, this year, we're actually lobbying to allow, this is crazy, to allow beer distributors to distribute beer. <laughs> okay, we got to take a minute here and explain this because I'm guessing there's some folks listening who don't know about these arcane twists and turns of Utah liquor law. So it's not it's not really, really known, but the beer that you buy in the liquor store actually comes from the same warehouse where uh, the beer that you buy from the grocery store comes from. So they put all the beer on the same truck and then they deliver to the bars and grocery stores, not all the beer, just the 5% beer. Now it's 5%. And then everything over 5%, which is considered heavy beer or technically considered liquor is dropped off of the liquor store. So the same truck, why doesn't the same truck drop off my beer that I have to now follow the truck and go to the liquor store and pick up the beer that he was just gonna deliver? So it's super common sense stuff. It, it's uh, lower, lower carbon footprint stuff. It actually saves the state money. The state actually pays a dollar for every case of beer that that truck drops off at the liquor store that I then pick up and carry away. And uh, uh, I don't know the numbers for last year, but the year before, uh, like pre-COVID year, um, that was a savings of about a half a million dollars, just pure a check that the state had to write to the beer distributors. So oh, man. not only that, they don't have to inventory it. They don't have to touch it. They don't have, anyway. Um, Makes sense. I Bottom line. I know it's line. radioactive, so I get to be a little active. <laughs> yes, you do. We've hit quite <laughs> We've hit quite a few things. We've hit on liquor laws, so legislative session coming up, folks. This might be a bill that you want to follow. We'll make sure to get Dave back to talk about it as the session comes around in January. We've talked about Movember 
And the mustache pretzels, you got to check those out because abortion supports men's health and suicide prevention here in Utah. And then, of course, on Veterans Day, meals at all of Dave's bars for veterans. And how many did you do last year? What are you looking at this year, you think? I really don't know. That's a that's a really good question and one it seems like I would should know the answer to. But. <laughs> COVID has kind of upended numbers, but I think folks are feeling <laughs> well, a little bit stronger we back really, now. We really don't we really don't track the numbers. I I mean, it'd be interesting to know, but um, it's more throwing the party, and that's um, that Veterans Day is usually a day when I get together with my other veteran friends and uh, and we do a little bar hopping. And <laughs> it usually goes late into the night and we squeeze every minute out of that Veterans Day. <laughs> but the, the focus is more about celebrating each other. And um, it's a strange thing that no matter uh, whether they're left or right or conservative, or liberal or, or whatever, when a group of veterans get together, there's this, this bizarre camaraderie that uh, it, it's just... Um, I don't know how to describe it. It's just instantly you're connected with that another American in a way that you can't be connected with someone who hasn't served or taken that oath or um, it, it just means something, something deeper. Like you've, you've gone through the shared experience. Like we all got our butt kicked and uh, in basic training, at least we have that. If we have nothing else, if we didn't do the same job or go to the same permanent duty station or school or whatever, like you have that basic, you took an oath and you went to basic and uh, it kind of sets the stage from there. It's bizarre that just such a small amount of time, this, you, most people serve, you know, four years or six years, which at 50 years old, that's not a huge part of my life, but it's defined so much of who I am. And, it, and it's the same. I'm not the only vet like that. It's the same for everybody else. It's once you have that, you have it for the rest of your life. Well, Dave, let's send a song out to all the vets for Veterans Day. You got one in particular that you'd like to share? Um, so this it probably won't make much sense. But uh, when I went to Saudi Arabia, I had one ammo can full of cassette tapes. And and my my favorite my favorite one was Pixie's Surferosa. And where is my mind is is the one I list, listened to over and over, and it was it was so fitting because you're out in the middle of the desert and you're just where is my mind? I think that's perfect. Let's do Thank it. You. So, Dave, cheers to you and all the Army vets, all the branches of service out there. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. Cheers. From former Army medic Dave Morris, that's the Pixies, Where Is My Mind, on KRCL. Check tonight's show notes for more information on his Meals for Veterans today at his bars, Piper Down, Ice House, Funkin' Dive, Harpin' Hound, and the Handlebar. You still got time before midnight. Upholding Valor with Jill Atwood when we come back on a radioactive Veterans Day special. Thanks to George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation for investing in KRCL and communities throughout Utah. If you're a homeowner or renter making 200% or less of the federal poverty rate, 
and need help weatherizing your home, Utah Community Action can help. Visit utahca.org for details. You're listening to Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. And this is a Veterans Day edition of the show. The next person I'm going to pass the microphone to is an Army veteran, a veteran of Desert Storm, and Director of Communications at the VA here in Salt Lake City. Hi, I'm Jill Atwood, Director of Communications for the VA Salt Lake City Healthcare System. I'm also a proud Army veteran. And while it is Veterans Day, let's remind everybody that every day is Veterans Day for me and here at the hospital. So, Jill, remind folks about the VA in our community. I think oftentimes it's this hidden gem that folks don't know about unless they're part of the VA system. I really appreciate you calling us that. We are a hidden gem, and I really tried to do our do my best to, to brand us that way and put a, a face to the VA because a lot of people do think of this big, sterile building, you know, what happens in there. And what I can tell you is great quality health care happens. So we've got our main campus at 500 Foothill Drive. And then we have eight community clinics spread out through all of Utah, parts of Nevada and Idaho. We're serving about 69,000 veterans, but I know we have about 150,000 veterans in Utah. So we still have some, some work to do. Uh, face-to-face appointments, virtual appointments, specialty care, we we do it all. A lot of people like to think of us uh, as socialized medicine. Um, you know, it's it's we're the U.S. version of that, where veterans can come in and get everything taken care of, like a one-stop shop. I recall reading something about when the vaccine came about, you opened up the VA to folks beyond, you know, certified veterans uh, eligible for services. Absolutely. COVID kind of changed the landscape for us. Um, you know, part of our fourth mission is to serve the community as well. So while we didn't have a, a ton of humanitarian uh, efforts, a, a, a t- we weren't taking a ton of local folks in, in terms of care because the, the need wasn't there, we absolutely would have provided beds and worked with the state had that become the case. However, Lara, we did back all of our veteran uh, caregivers, uh, spouses, Um, At times, we could vaccinate some of their children, and as of right now, we're still doing extensive outreach to get those initial series of vaccines out there to folks who want it, but more importantly, now we have that COVID booster, uh, especially for our older veterans, our immune-compromised veterans who feel like they they need it. And so that's our big push right now. What do you got to do to sign up for that as a veteran? Easy. You just call the main number, 801-582-1565, and press number two. Uh, but we also have folks calling. So we have a huge list. And uh, if, you, if you don't get to us right away, expect a phone call because we, we just need to get our folks vaccinated. We want to open up again completely. We don't want to wear the masks anymore. We know everybody's tired of it. And the best way to do that is just to get everybody vaccinated and safe. In the past, I know we've talked about veteran servicers when it comes to mental health, suicide mm-hmm. awareness, and homelessness outreach. Those programs still going strong? Absolutely. Um, in fact, since COVID, we've really had to ramp up those specific programs because of the isolation, because veterans are hesitant to, to come out or reach out or, or uh, putting off coming into the medical center because of the fear of COVID. We've really had to ramp that out in terms of virtual health care, 
um, phone calls, uh, COVID vaccines for our homeless folks. Tracking them down is, is, is the big effort. And then trying to schedule them to get those vaccines is even a bigger effort because a lot of times they don't have phones, ways we can follow up on them. So we have to be very creative with our outreach and how we're, how we're tracking down our, our homeless veterans. In terms of, of suicide prevention, you know, we have our, we have our hotline, uh, we have um, our, our crisis team on standby 24-7. So a veteran can walk into our ER at, at any time and receive help. They don't have to wait. They don't have to make an appointment. They can walk in anytime. And we also do have PTSD walk-in hours on Tuesday. So if anyone's interested in any of those programs, I hope you can pass along that they can get in touch with me personally at any time. My, my email is simple, jill.atwood at va.gov. I open it up to everyone for any questions. We'll put it in the show notes for sure. You said there's a 24-hour hotline when it comes to what we were just talking about. What's that number? Let's get that out there. 1-800-273-8255. So that's 1-800-273-8255. You can find that on our website, though. You can find that Googling. It's a pretty prominent number. So there, there's no excuse for not knowing that, that phone number. 1-800-273-8255. So often when media reaches out, it's about those, those crisis interventions. What do you want the community to know the community at large to know about the veteran community in its midst? That's a really good point. And I'm glad you brought that up. I do get questions consistently um, about PTSD and veterans and, and actions and, and bad things that happen. And it's not the norm. That's not the normal veteran. It's true that we have about 20% of our veterans who come back with um, some sort of trauma, um, but it's normal trauma. Uh, considering what they've exposed. It's also treatable trauma. And uh, we have specialized therapies that can take care of that. Veterans don't need to be in, in therapy forever. Uh, so I want that out there. I also want folks to know, family members, veterans, that don't wait, don't, don't wait until um, you're in crisis to come see us. Uh, a lot of times families are falling apart um, in the midst of divorce, you know, problems assimilating back into normal life, isolation, tempers, uh, bad nightmares. It doesn't have to be that way. Don't wait until you're in crisis to come see us because then it's just like an onion. We're, we're unpeeling that onion, trying to get to the source of the problem. And we can help, but we like to see folks early so you don't get to that point. Uh, the next thing I would like to say about veterans is that they are extraordinary people. Uh, if you ever want to hire a veteran or if you have a veteran that you're in your employment, their leadership skills, their loyalty, their punctuality, their problem-solving skills, their project management, they're some of the best of the best. Um, we have a, a fantastic medical center here and a healthcare system, but we have even better veterans in our midst. And I think everyone knows a veteran or knows someone who who knows a veteran. So I would encourage you to get to know that person, reach out, uh, especially when we're talking about crisis, because you never know when, when someone might be in trouble and your words might make a difference. I was reading on your website the relationship that 
um, the VA is fostering or continues to honor between Afghan translators and other folks who worked with the U.S. military when we were in Afghanistan. And now we're about to have a bunch of folks from Afghanistan resettled here. Tell me about the work there. Sure. Um, Well, mostly our work right now is um, helping our veterans come to terms with what happened over there. Uh, It was a rough few months for us here and and some of our veterans gathered around the TV. uh, As America was withdrawing forces from that country. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So we've done extensive outreach to our Afghanistan veterans and opened our doors for those who may need to talk about it. We we saw veterans come in that we haven't seen in years um, who just needed to speak about their, their anger and angst as to what was going to happen to a lot of the refugees that you're talking about, the translators and, and those that were left behind. Um, I had an opportunity to do a podcast with both an Afghanistan veteran and uh, a Vietnam veteran and their, their thoughts and feelings were, were very similar um, and, and, very, and very powerful. Um, of course, the fear is that they will go back to the way they were before. But the bigger fear was for the women in general in Afghanistan and, and what will become of them. Uh, I know that uh, I, there's a small group here that does, um, has become heavily involved with Afghan refugees and how they can assist. Um, and it's still really uh, top of mind here for us at, at VA, mostly in terms of making sure our veterans are okay and have someone to talk to about it. You know, I wanted to talk about your podcast. How about we share it and then we'll talk about it on the other side, okay? Okay. Veterans are who we are, what we talk about, who we fight for. This podcast sheds light on real issues facing our veterans. It informs the uninformed, it celebrates their triumphs, and it provides hope to those fighting a silent battle. This is Upholding Valor. Welcome, I'm Jill Atwood, Director of Communications for the VA in Salt Lake City and your host for Upholding Valor. The 20-year war has ended, ironically colliding with the 20th anniversary of the worst terrorist attacks in our nation's history, 9-11. Some, some events are so cataclysmic that they're, they're ageless. The events of that day led us into the war in Afghanistan. We were shattered but quickly regained our footing and resolve. We were united as a nation. My conversation with two veterans takes many turns as each grapples with the last 20 years and the impact that fateful day had on our lives. They are from different eras and have different convictions on the war in Afghanistan, but as much as they are different, they are the same. I think it woke many people up that we are vulnerable, that we aren't that far above everyone else. I also think that temporarily um, we became a much more understanding, a kinder and gentler America. Lieutenant Colonel Bruce Sperry was set to retire before 9-11, but the events of that day changed his course. I'm a volunteer and I'm a soldier and soldiers move towards the sounds of gunfire and where they can make the most difference. I had Will over 20 years and was gonna retire, but when this happened, I felt impelled to absolutely 
uh, exact some payback for our country. He knew it wouldn't be long before he deployed to the Middle East. Sperry was a special forces medic with an elite anti-terrorism group specializing in surgery and trauma. Well, one of special forces' primary mission is unconventional warfare. And that was a beautiful place to have unconventional warfare, um, to train the indigenous personnel, how to defend their country, how to become independent from the uh, tyranny, um, from the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, uh, anyone like that. It was a perfect special forces mission, and it started out that way. I do have an opinion. I think that um, the war became very prolonged, and we mission drifted away from an unconventional warfare to a conventional warfare. Former Army Captain Bill Essex served two tours in Vietnam with Special Forces. He understands how lines blur as war drags on. Well, we stayed way too long. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, it was a mistake to think we were going to rebuild Afghanistan in our image. I mean, the history of Afghanistan is littered with good intentions and defeated conquerors. We should have kicked ISIS ass and then gone home. He and other veterans struggle with what was and what will become of a country's people that many fought long and hard to protect. It just doesn't make any sense that the people that I thought we were turning everything over to, and even our security for our exit was turned over to the Taliban. That bothered me, and we knew there would be an issue. Every soldier knew there was going to be an issue. We just didn't know the magnitude and the number. It's a country of terror. They walk around and shoot people in the head. They have no, it's not a big thing to them. Once you've killed 50, 60, 70 men, women, and children, it becomes very easy. Um, and I don't think we have been exposed as Americans to that kind of terror, to that kind of uh, non-concern for someone else's life. Life is pretty cheap over there. They were saying it's deja vu all over again. And it was particularly difficult for me because I, I was in Special Forces my first assignment and I lived and worked and fought with the Vietnamese. The night Vietnam fell, I was getting ready to work a, a graveyard shift as a deputy sheriff and I was watching that as I got ready. And you didn't want to piss me off that night. I, I had a real rough time with that. Uh, I, I had many close Vietnamese friends, and uh, I, I'm sure they didn't fare well with the change of regimes in, the, in that instance. Uh, I think one of the strongest things about being in combat is the relationships you form with the people you're fighting with, because the, I don't know what could rival the intensity of those feelings that we would have for each other. For some reason, we were unable to have the local military leadership believe enough in their country that they're willing to die for it. Now, that's a generality, because I'm certain that hundreds, if not thousands, did believe in their country and stayed there and have given their lives for it. 
They were America's allies. Many people give their lives because they have chosen to be our allies. You know, we only hear um, about those that turned and ran. I'm certain from fighting with some of those people, they're as passionate as we are, and their lives will be taken swiftly and without conscience. Popular adage during Vietnam was that the Vietnamese were cowards and they'd run off and leave you. My experience was that the only times mine ran off and left me was when if it had been up to me, I would have told them to do it, and I was glad I could go with them. Both men have compartmentalized their experiences. They get help through VA for those memories that keep them up at night. Still, there are certain events, certain people, they will never forget. You lose your support system. Uh, I didn't start having flashbacks until after I couldn't participate in the 19th Special Forces anymore because of my health. That's when things kind of hit me like gangbusters. And it was because those associations are so important because except for other soldiers, nobody understands where you're coming from, what your feelings are, what your thought process is. It's, it's even more so now that we have a totally professional military because everybody sits at home and barbecues their steaks and people they don't know are the ones doing the fighting and people that they hardly ever interact with. I don't know if people truly understand what an explosion and a mass casualty situation looks like, what it smells like, what it feels like. If you think of a, a roll of pennies, it's 50 pennies. And if you think of the civilian casualties, uh, so that's uh, over three rolls of pennies and you put those in your hands and you threw them out on the ground. But the carnage, the triage, the deciding who's immediate, who's deceased, who can be treated, is absolutely, that many people is just something that will, the people aren't used to understanding that. I was with quite a few people when they took their last breath. Um, it's very easy to take a life. It's very difficult to save one. For me, what goes through my mind is all those soldiers that I worked on and couldn't save. It seems overwhelming that the majority I could not save. Now, whether that's true or not, if you lose one and can't save one after you work hard to save them, um, it's too many, and they stay with you. Some were just kids. It was very traumatic. I think many of them were. Um, the majority of them were. I think soldiers do their duty, and they realize what the cost may be. And it's one of the most unselfish loves, I think, that you can give. And I certainly respect that. Um, and honored that in any way I could. I worked casualties as hard as I could work them for as long as I could work them. Sperry laments about the future of Afghanistan. However, neither man regrets their part in serving their country, only that so many didn't make it home. I think there's a tendency for cultures 
to go back to the way things were instead of advancing and making change. Um, my concern is for all Afghanistan people, but primarily for women and children. I think as America, we, we built schools, we fixed roads, we gave them water that they didn't have before. We made their lives better, and especially for women. And I think that will go back to the way it was. In fact, it already has. Well, I don't think whenever you answer your country's call you, that you die in vain, no matter how misguided the, the endeavor is. I, th I, I think that a country that doesn't have people that will step forward and lay their life on the line for the ideals of the country is, is, is in bad shape. And I'm just grateful that we continue to have people that will do that. I would do it again if I could and was asked to. And the veterans that I know would do it again if they were physically able and were asked to, even though we know it was screwed up because it was it's just kind of a responsibility of citizenship to step up and do your duty when it's needed. It's so hard to find the right words after hearing from these two heroes. They represent so many men and women just like them. I appreciate their candor and vulnerability during this challenging time in our country's history on so many fronts. There are a lot of opinions on Afghanistan, a lot of emotions tied to the last 20 years, and all I can hope for as a veteran is that we can all come together as a country and be united once again. Thanks for joining us today for Upholding Valor. Stay safe, take care of each other, and be kind. This is Jill Atwood. I'm a VA employee, Army veteran, and veteran of Desert Storm. This is personal to me. There is no greater mission than to serve and fight for those who fought for us. Thanks for listening and thanks for caring. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe or rate us. Or better yet, tell a vet and tell a friend. To tune in by texting veterans to 57500 or go to kslpodcast.com veterans. VA is honored to serve you. Really powerful conversation that we're sharing here on Veterans Day. My guest is Jill Atwood from the VA here in Salt Lake City. And Jill, this podcast, you've been doing it for a while now. Tell people about it and why, why you decided to utilize this communication tool to get uh, more perhaps control over the narrative when it comes to veteran stories. Absolutely. It just kind of happened by chance. I have a, a relationship with KSL and we do some spots with them and they said, hey, how about for some added value, you do a podcast? And I was like, huh, I've never done that before, but I have a background to, to pull it off for sure. And, and podcasts are the thing now, right? Yeah. A great opportunity. It doesn't take much to produce them. So I really embraced it. I have a great producer and uh, we just talk real issues with, with real veterans. Um, some just expose important resources that veterans may not be aware of and others get pretty, pretty deep and um, raw in terms of what you just heard with the Afghanistan podcast, military sexual trauma, post-traumatic stress syndrome. We expose some real issues and then what veterans can do to, to get some help. 
And, you know, veterans want to hear from their peers. And while I'm a, I'm a veteran myself, uh, you know, I'm a spokesperson for the VA. So I want to bring in the real combat veterans, the, the veterans who have been through it so they can listen, feel it, and feel like they're not alone. So it's been really successful and it's been a learning experience for me. I've really enjoyed it. Well, thanks to you and your partners at KSL for allowing us to share that episode of Upholding Valor. We'll put a link in tonight's show notes to that specific podcast and the the history of the podcast as well. Thanks, Jill, and happy Veterans Day. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Laura. See you next time. Check tonight's show notes for links to the Upholding Valor podcast and the VA in Salt Lake City. I'll include Jill's email, as she so graciously shared earlier in our conversation for folks looking to get in touch. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive, a Veterans Day special. To close the show, my last conversation is with a woman who's taking what she learned helping her father fight for VA benefits and help others do the same. Hi, yes, my name is Lourdes, and I volunteer with the Calandria Carcinoma Foundation and very much am an advocate to helping families Um, and veterans try to get their claims approved by the VA. Great. There is a webinar, a link for which we'll put in tonight's show notes, where you get into some granular detail on how to do this. But what I wanted to know was a little bit more about why you're involved, Lourdes, what your origin story is on this topic. I take it there's a family connection. Um, Yes. Uh, My dad was diagnosed uh, with cholangiocarcinoma back in 2010. I believe. Um, and he served in Vietnam in the army and through a lot of research and information also from the Calangiocarcinoma Foundation's website, we discovered that there were other veterans and um, that the liver fluke parasite was something that could potentially be a risk factor for um, individuals to have gotten this disease. So that's why I'm a big advocate for this. Um, My dad was not alive to see his claim finally get approved, but our family kept pushing forward. And um, just because our families was approved, we still want to help other families also get their claims approved. So it sounds like you got to keep appealing. Appeal is a big part of this process. It is a big part of the process. Um, some veterans and their and or the um, widows or widowers um, apply once and get it approved. Others have to apply or appeal multiple times before the claim is actually approved. So it just kind of depends. <laughs> What are your thoughts on on that process and why it's so difficult? Um, Well, I think that a big part of it has to do with the fact that cholangiocarcinoma is not considered a um, an illness or a disease that is, you know, an automatic assumption that it was from service in Vietnam. So that's a big issue with um, this in terms of why certain individuals who read the claims may or may not decide one way or the other. Um, And then some people still have to go through and um, speak directly to like a judge about it and talk about it again. So I think that lack of understanding and knowledge on the disease and 
the potential origins also for a lot of individuals in Southeast Asian countries um, is part of the issue with the claims process being held up. You started on this with your, your dad, and as a result, you have created a, a database of information, uh, language folks can use to make their own applications. You kind of have a roadmap to how this can be done. Um, I have to say that I was not the first one. I kind of inherited this um, project a little bit. Um, the first person that we spoke to whose husband, her husband had actually gotten the first, um, she got the first claim approved for cholangiocarcinoma with liver fluke parasite um, at risk for that was um, Sheila Harris. And she has since passed, but um, Ann Petiti was the one who really kind of carried that torch on for a, a while. And she started collecting the names and doing a lot of kind of um, her own research in terms of like what veterans, what obituaries were out there in terms of veterans who actually had um, cholangiocarcinoma listed as their, um, on their like reason for death. And um, with the cholangiocarcinoma foundation, we've been able to kind of streamline it a little bit in the sense that people who go through the foundation and are in some way related to a veteran can submit a questionnaire and then we kind of just keep track of the individuals who have um, requested information. We have pulled from a lot of families um, their own personal claim process and experience and like the articles that people have read and included in their claims um, so that others are, have access to that in an easy way. One of the reasons it's so hard is that cholangiocarcinoma it's asymptomatic and takes 30 to 40 years to develop, I understand. Yes, it is um, very much so co more common, I think, for individuals who are diagnosed to not show symptoms until it's already at a stage four, um, so which makes it very difficult. And therefore, even more difficult to connect it to service, but this foundation helps you along with this webinar that you have helped create, Lourdes. Oh, what would you think, what do you think your dad would think of you keeping on with this cause? Um, I mean, I think he would be proud of the fact that this is something that I'm still doing and trying to help other individuals um, who are veterans as well and their families to have the VA recognize that this is something that didn't just happen, that it was because of their service in a country during war times. Um, and also trying to make sure that we don't forget our Vietnam vets, where there is a big history of having forgotten what they did and a lot of not so great um, reaction to their service in Vietnam. So, Well, Lourdes Roca, thank you so much for keeping up this, this cause. We'll be sure to put a link in the show notes so people can benefit from your family story and the knowledge that you have been a part of accumulating on behalf of veterans who are dealing with cholangiocarcinoma or bile duct cancer. I always like to ask my guests if there's a song they'd like to play. And since it's part of our Veterans Day show, maybe there's something that your dad liked or you'd like to dedicate to him. Honestly, the first song that comes to mind is Hey Jude by the Beatles. <laughs> Whenever he would hear it, he would just say something about having heard it while he was in service. So, yeah. <laughs> And what branch of the service was he in? He was in the Army. Well, this is for you and your dad. Thank you so much for sharing your, your work and your story, and we'll get it out there for you. 
Thank you. Hey, Jude. The Beatles' Hey, Jude on this Veterans Day special edition of Radioactive, a song from Lourdes Roca going out to her late father, an Army vet, and to all of you as well. I'm Laura Jones, and that is our Veterans Day special edition of Radioactive. If you enjoyed it, please share it. You can find it later tonight at krcl.org. I do have some time left here for a special request. Yes, my name is Brad Noon. I'm from Central Colorado, and I wanted to leave a song recommendation for Veterans Day. Um, It's 311's Beyond the Gray Sky. It was given to me by one of my best friends. I am a veteran myself. It was given to me by one of my best friends um, when I was having a hard time. Um, and I'd like to dedicate that song to my friend Stacy Bear, um, who's a Salt Lake native or Salt Lake uh, local. Um, and yeah, uh, thanks and happy Veterans Day. You got it, Brad. My thanks to Dave Morris, Jill Atwood, and Lourdes Roca for their contributions to tonight's show and to you for listening. This is 311 Live, recorded in New Orleans back in 2014. Beyond the Gray Sky, happy Veterans Day, everybody, from everyone here at Radioactive and KRCL 90.9.